0: thank you Dane. good morning to everybody great to be together today great to see everybody out in spite of the weather but this is kind of a late season snow and we are in nebraska after all so good to see everybody if you're visiting with us you are special to us because you're here you're an encouragement to us and we pray that your being here will be an encouragement to you if you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us say or teach please ask us we keep saying we just want to be the church we read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I want us to think about dedication this morning. I appreciate Robert preparing the, uh, the table thought for us as we took of the Lord's Supper a few moments ago, talking about dedication. When we think about dedication, I've entitled the sermon, How Deep Should We Drink?, You'll understand in a few moments why I chose that particular title. The question is, to what depth does your commitment, does my commitment and dedication to God go? How how committed should we be? How deep should that commitment be? In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then in Mark's account of that particular statement from our Lord, he adds, with all your strength as well. When you think about that, when you you think about loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, we're really talking about loving God with all of our being, aren't we? With everything that we have, with everything that we are. And not just for a moment, and not just in a surface level kind of statement of that kind of love, but A love that is genuine, that is true, that is abiding, that continues on and is consistent. Love God with everything we are, with everything that we have, with all that we can be. Our entire being. Well, we think about uh, that kind of dedication, that depth of commitment. I share with you a story I read many, many years ago about a young boy from a Chicago slum and he was taken to a hospital with a broken leg. I got the impression that he spent some time in the hospital after they treated him for that broken leg. So, young boy from a Chicago slum, broken leg, taken to a hospital, and he was one of seven children within that family. They were often hungry. They had to share the food. Even a glass of milk, even a glass of milk could not be had just by one of those children. They often had to share it between two or three of them. And each child was told to drink down to a certain line on the glass that was marked by a finger, probably from mom or daddy. Only drink this far, that's, all you, that's as much as you can have from this glass of milk. Well, the young boy, while he was in the hospital, A nurse, I believe, brought him a glass of milk. His natural response was a question. How how deep can I drink? The nurse recognized right away what the motive was behind that question. And with tears welling in her eyes, she said, as deep as you want. He could have the whole glass of milk all to himself. Something different than he was expected and than he was used to. I remember listening to a preacher friend from long ago who has passed on now. And he was talking about how he and his wife had taken in, I believe probably just as foster parents for a brief period of time, but they had taken in a young boy who was taken from a home similar to this. Probably abused to some extent or another, but certainly poor and and really undernourished. And my friend said that this young boy would regularly go into their kitchen and open the refrigerator door and look in, and then close it. And his understanding was he kept doing that because he was looking to see there's food in there. Probably not a single one of us have gone through that kind of state in life but there are people who do. And I was struck when I first read that particular story about this young boy from that Chicago slum, how deep can I drink? Because he wasn't used to drinking the whole glass or the whole cup. Had to share it with brothers, sisters. Jesus cried out in John chapter, 30, uh, chapter 7 and verse 37, if anyone thirsts, let him drink, let him If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, from a physical perspective, we would think, what in the world? Jesus, come to you to drink? You're carrying water around with you? Is there a water casket that you're having your apostles, you know, wheel behind you wherever you go? But he wasn't talking about physical water. He was talking about spiritual thirst. And so Jesus is to the thirsty soul what a glass of water is to the thirsty mouth. And probably just about every single one of us and maybe a number of times in our life experience, we've been to the point where we were really, really thirsty. Maybe we had been working outside, maybe we had just been caught up in doing something, maybe we woke up one morning and, and our mouth was all dry, or maybe we'd been out in the heat and our lips actually had started chapping. Maybe our sun had, our skin had started being burned by the sun. And so we, we were really thirsty. Again, there's some pain that can go with that. And even if it gets taken to an excessive level, it can be life-threatening. And so we get that glass of water and we drink it down and, and we just think, how refreshing. Oh, that's so good, especially if it's cold water. But even if it's warm water, we're drinking that down and we can feel it all the way down into our stomach and we feel refreshed immediately. Well, next to oxygen, water is the most urgent necessity to sustain physical life. If the oxygen oxygen supply is cut off or if we have a problem where we cannot take in oxygen, we're going to die pretty quickly if it's not replaced. But we can go without food for quite a number of days and still survive, but only so long without water. And then we die of thirst because it takes a toll on our organs. Without drinking from the living spiritual waters that Jesus was offering. In John 7 and verse 37, when he said, let, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Without that spiritual water on an ongoing basis if that's not a sustaining part of our spiritual lives then the ultimate consequence is we will die spiritually remember what the apostle paul wrote in romans chapter 6 and verse 3 the wages of sin is death in that same verse he goes on and says but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord but Without that spiritual water, that spiritual sustenance that Jesus calls living water, then we're going to die spiritually. Now we know if we get caught off, you know, cut off from a water supply, physical water, eventually that's going to take the toll of physical death. But it's going to take a while. But if we do not partake of the spiritual water, the living water that Jesus talks about, then We die spiritually, and we might think about that as being much more immediate than being without physical water. But ultimately, as we go through life, if that's not replaced, not replenished, if we don't start partaking of that spiritual water, then we're going to die eternally. And we don't want to think about that consequence of eternal condemnation in hell. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. How many times have you run into somebody, or maybe at times in your life you felt this way yourself? God's Word, boy, I'm enjoying studying it so much. I'm enjoying reading. I'm enjoying hearing the teaching from Bible class teachers and preachers. Boy, I'm just eating it up. I'm just, I want more and more. We're thirsting. We're hungering for the teachings of God's word. How sad it is when we get to the point where we neglect being in God's word in one way or another to such an extent that, that, that we just kind of forget about that. And it no longer becomes as much of a thirst or a hungering in our spiritual lives. I want us to look at John chapter four, John chapter four. Without dr- that with, we need spiritual sustenance on an ongoing basis, just as we need physical food, just as we need pure water to drink. We need spiritual sustenance on an ongoing basis to stay strong in our faith, to stay strong in our spiritual lives. to to stay strong even in facing the rigors that life throws at us every day. We get that strength from God through Jesus Christ. We get that encouragement from God's word. I want us to look at a couple of illustrations. In John chapter 4, we find Jesus conversing with a woman at a well. Now Jesus and his apostles have come to that particular point. He stayed there. Near that well, the apostles have gone into the city to buy some food. As Jesus is there, a woman comes along, and then they begin a conversation. Jesus actually initiates the conversation. Beginning in verse 6, we read, uh, beginning in verse 6, we read, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so Jesus was hungry. I think we can understand that probably to some extent he was physically weary. So he stayed there while the disciples went into the, into the uh, city to buy some food. While he was waiting near that well, Jacob's well, Jacob and the woman is going to identify it as being a well that Jacob had dug hundreds and hundreds of years before. And so she comes along to get water from the well, and she, he says, give me a drink. And she's amazed, because she's a Samaritan woman. And the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, because they saw them as something of a spiritually mongrel race. They no longer were the true bloodline of the Israelites, because they had long ago, hundreds of years before, they had corrupted their faith, their worship of God, their belief in the scriptures, and they had intermarried with people who worshiped idols. And so the Jews stayed away from them. Now she was a woman also, and that was in a di- she was in a different state in life culturally from the men of that particular time in that particular area. And that's completely different from what we're used to in our culture today in this country. And so she's amazed, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? She understood the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. But Jesus did not come just to call one group of people to forgiveness and redemption and salvation through the gospel message that he brought from the throne room in heaven. He came ultimately to have that message spread to all of humanity all over the world and every generation. In verse 10, after having initiated the conversation with an appeal for physical water, then Jesus took the opportunity, based upon the response of the woman, to begin a spiritual conversation and to begin to focus spiritually on her needs. So verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, this probably hit the woman, (laughs) kind of went over her head. She did get that sense of, I could ask him for living water, but she was still focused on the spiritual, or on the physical. So verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She's still thinking physical. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? So that well had been there a long time. Where are you getting that water? You don't even have a bucket to draw from, not even a pot that you can lower down into the well. And the well's deep. Where are you going to get that living water? So then we come on down to verse 13, and we read further. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water in that well will thirst again. You're going to get thirsty again after drinking that water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus was offering something to her that was on a completely different plane than what she was thinking of. She's still thinking physical water out of that physical well from in that ground, and he's talking about eternal life through the living water of the gospel message of salvation. And ultimately, we understand that to to be Christianity. The message of of forgiveness and redemption and salvation through Christ. When we look at John chapter seven, and we look at verses 37 and 38, Jesus, he says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, so another occasion now, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then he goes on and he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now, how can we understand that? Out of our heart will flow rivers of living water if we come to Jesus as our Savior in the way that we are instructed to come to him. Repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in him as God's Son and our Lord and Savior, and being baptized, buried in the waters of baptism into him for the remission of our sins so that we can come up out of that grave of water reborn spiritually made alive made new how can how can out of our heart flow rivers of living water because you see because of that change we when we come to christ we're buried with him in the waters of baptism but until that point we're dead in our sins remember the wages of sin is death romans 6 and verse twenty three but we're being buried with him in those waters of baptism so that we can be made alive spiritually. The rest of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to bring us life, but not physical life. He came to bring us eternal life. And so he offers to satisfy our spiritual needs unto everlasting life. And that's far more important than taking a drink of physical water when we're physically thirsty and our mouth is dry. So as we become Christians, then we become examples to everybody around us. Remember Matthew chapter, three, uh, chapter 5 and verse 16, where Jesus said, You are the light of the world. We're to be part of a city that is set on a hill where people from far off can see the light of our spiritual reality. We're Christians. They can see that in our lives, the way we live. They can see the different focus in the way we live, what we're interested in, what we're looking forward to. And through that shining light within us as we live ourselves and as we conduct ourselves in the reality of our Christianity. We become that shining light. We become that seasoning salt, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. And we become a powerful influence to help others then Maybe approach us or maybe give us the opening so we can approach them and talk about the living waters of forgiveness, redemption, salvation in becoming a Christian, being baptized into Christ. Living waters. We look forward to a different reality when we become Christians than all the rest of the world looks forward to because they're focused on material things. Physical things, physical matters, worldly things. And we're focused on God. We're focused on our Lord Jesus Christ. We're focused on getting to heaven. And even trying to be a good influence on others to help others get to heaven as well. I want us to look at John chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. And this is Jesus, and we're taking just brief excerpts out of a very lengthy context of scripture in which Jesus Jesus is portrayed as miraculously feeding 5,000 men on one occasion with just a few morsels of food. Now it's the next morning. He has gone across the sea. They have followed him and now they're confronting him. In John chapter 6 beginning with verse 30 we read this. Therefore, they sought to take him, these men whom he had fed, at least some of them the day before, miraculously given them physical food because he had compassion upon them. But this was also one way that he demonstrated that he truly is the Savior from God because he, God enabled him to perform miracles, signs, and wonders. And this was just one of them, one of many. So they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So it makes us wonder, were these men so focused on Jesus miraculously feeding them a physical meal the day before that they were actually considering perhaps making something of a captive of him? Making them work for them? Feed them on a regular basis? It's just rather intriguing statement there. They sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. In verse 31, many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these, which this man has done? So there were some genuine believers in the crowd, based upon what Jesus had done. So we look at verse 30, verse, uh, verse 32 and 33. The Pharisees heard the crowd the Pharisees heard the crowd. nope oh, 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 let, me, let me move back to chapter 6 here. Verses 32 and 33. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. Let me go back. I was in the wrong chapter. I apologize. There, back to verse 30. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now, kind of the sense of what I... Reflected upon in the next chapter by those words and and what they're saying here kind of go together though. They were wanting Jesus to give them another meal apparently. That's interesting. He had just fed them miraculously the day before. Now what sign will you give us? Now from a rather (laughs) a rather ironic perspective Jesus could have said what sign do you think I gave you yesterday? Wasn't that enough? I fed 5,000 of you with just a few morsels of food, miraculously. And then they go on and said, our fathers ate the manna in the desert. That was for 40 years. God provided food for the people of Israel. Probably about a million to three million people strong at that particular point. While they wandered through the wilderness. And so they're thinking still on a physical plane. What are you going to do for us now? What kind of sign? Our fathers ate the man in the desert for 40 years. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. But then Jesus goes on and he digs further into the depths of reality. And he says, you know, basically, you're thinking about physical food. Uh, Let me talk to you about spiritual. So Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You're still thinking about physical food here. You're still thinking about the physical things in life. I have come from the Father to give you spiritual life, eternal life. Well, physical food, spiritual food. Physical drink, spiritual drink. The things of this world, the things of eternity. Eternal life. We drop down to verse 34. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus had already set the record straight. He said, Moses did not give you that bread. That came from God. And I am the bread of life now. They say, give us this bread. They're still thinking physical. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But he's not talking about a sandwich. He's not talking about a loaf of physical bread. He's not talking about some fish. He's talking about spiritual life in him. And in we, as we are living in him, faithfully and obediently every day of our lives. Our spiritual hunger is fed. Our spiritual thirst is taken care of. Drop down to verse 53 as we continue in this particular text. And Jesus goes on. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, if you look at the analysis of this particular part of this general context of scripture, You'll find a lot of writers will say he's not really talking here about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about taking him into our lives, making his teachings a part of our lives. In fact, the central force in our lives. And I think that's the bottom line understanding. But I think also he's talking about drinking my blood, eating my flesh. There is an allusion there to what we have just participated in that we call the Lord's Supper. And that's simply and perhaps a symbol or an illustration of the deeper message that he's trying to get across. You need to eat from me, my teachings. You need to drink from my word. You need to take me, what I'm standing for, what I'm teaching, the life that I'm offering you, and make that your life. So he goes on and he says, who eats, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. That's the lifestyle. I've changed my life. I've come out of the old life. I've been baptized into Christ. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been born again. I'm living a new life. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. And I will, and I live as the as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me, who feeds on me, my teachings who has taken seriously being baptized into me, Romans 6 and verse 3, will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. And those men who were still listening to him, who were saying, hey, feed us again today, remember, and the sense was that Perhaps Jesus was understanding in their hearts. Moses gave us this bread and this manna in the wilderness. He said, no, no, Moses didn't give that to you. God gave it to you. And I am the bread of life that God has sent to you now. So this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. That was physical food. They still died at the end of their lives. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now, we're going to die physically, but that's not the end. We're going to be ushered into eternal life with God in heaven. So think about this. Unlike that little boy that we talked about a few moments ago, unlike him, that poor family, and he was thinking, milk looks good. How deep can I drink? As deep as you want but that was not what he was used to in his life but we can drink from Jesus our living water anytime and continually and we're never going to be told that's too much got to stop there got to share so the question for each of us how deep should I drink should we drink how deep should I drink? Some people want only a taste of Jesus, just a taste, just a little bit, because they understand that if they get too far into the life that Jesus brought us, brought to us, the life of forgiveness through him, the life of being in him, the life of salvation, the life of Christianity, if they get too deep into Jesus... They recognize they're going to have to give up a whole lot of stuff in their lives that are the opposite of the life that Jesus offers to us. So they want just a little taste. They just want a little bit of Jesus. They don't want to drink too deep because that's commitment. That's dedication. That means they've got to change their lifestyle. Some people want just a little taste. So... How deep should I drink? Each one of us. How deep should we drink? Hmm. Should we drink just enough that Sunday morning is all we need? Is that that deep enough? Well, do I need to drink further? Do I need to be here Sunday night as well? to be in God's word, to be in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I need to drink a little deeper? Do I need to be here Sunday morning and Wednesday night for Bible classes? Stay in God's word more and more. What if there's a gospel meeting or what if there's something extra going on or if there's some activities that the church is involved in, some work? should Should I drink that deeply? Should I drink that deep? How how deep should I drink when it comes to being actively involved on a consistent basis with the church? Maybe teaching a Bible class. Maybe being involved in whatever the activities might be, whatever the work that needs to be done might be. Do I need to drink so deep as to actually read the Bible on my own, at home, on a regular basis? What about my personal prayer life? How deep should I drink? Should I stop before I partake of a meal every time, every day and give God thanks? Maybe just a brief prayer, but should I drink that deep? Should I be calling to God in prayer continually through every day, asking him for his blessings, his guidance, his wisdom, his protection? Should I drink that deep? What about my daily life at school? or at work, or at recreation, or at some activities that I'm involved in? What about the atmosphere in which I surround myself? How deep should I drink? Again, Matthew 5 and verse 16, I'm supposed to be the light of the world. How deep have I been drinking? How brightly have I turned on that light? How deep should I drink? I need to drink the whole glass, don't I? Just like that nurse told that little boy in the hospital. Drink as deep as you want. Can you imagine that boy stopped anywhere before he got to the bottom of that glass? That was new for him. That was a unique experience. He could drink the whole glass. And that's what we need to drink from the spiritual perspective of the living waters that our Lord and Savior offers us. In John chapter six again, beginning with verse 55, Jesus said, my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, that is lives in me and I in him. Imagine that, Jesus living in us. And the, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Feeds on him, learns of him, eats of his flesh, drinks of his blood, that is, take it all in his teachings, his way, his promises. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That was physical food and they're dead now. But he who eats this bread will live forever. Drinking the living waters that Jesus offers. Eating the spiritual food that our Lord and Savior offers consistently dedicated I will live forever can you say that with absolute confidence can you be assured of that in the life that you're living right now how deep have you been drinking do you need to come to your Lord and Savior repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, being baptized for the remission of your sins, to be born again, to begin that new life in him, do you need to be in Jesus and let him be in you? How deep have you been drinking? As a Christian, are you that dedicated? You're drinking the living waters of Jesus every day, eating the spiritual food that he offers you every day. How deep have you been drinking? Do you need the prayers of the church? Do you need to help somebody study with you? Do you want to learn? Do you want to grow spiritually? Are you harboring something in your heart that's keeping you from being able to do that? How deep are you drinking? If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?